Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. This is a CBC podcast. Hey, everyone. We are extremely happy and proud to announce that we will be taking part in a Movember campaign this year, and the time is nigh to begin this effort in earnest. We will be engaging in some sometimes not-so-friendly competition this year to see who can grow the best mo and who can raise the most dough. Are you Team Jer? You better be. Team Tay? Maybe Team Bride. Who do you think is going to come out on top? Let us know in the comments over on Instagram and YouTube. And in the meantime, put your money where your mouth is and head over to sickboypodcast.com slash Movember to pledge your allegiance. Men's health is near and dear to us. We've spent hours chatting with people who have been through the ringer with everything from cancer to suicidal ideation and the importance of developing a dialogue around these incredibly important topics. On November 8th, we'll be hosting a free live show for our friends at Movember. We'll be speaking with Mitch Hermanson, good friend of the podcast, as well as the director of development over at Movember. We'll also be speaking with John Olive, who is the Canada Research Chair in Men's Health Promotion at UBC's School of Nursing. And boy, oh boy, we can't wait. Last but not least, on November 1st, we're launching a shirt collection that is 100% Movember-inspired and 100% supporting our fundraising efforts. Every cent of profit from these t-shirt sales is going to the cause. So why not show your support and get some great new threads in the process? Go to shop.sickboypodcast.com to get yours today. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Phil. He has terminal esophageal cancer. Let's talk about it. Yeah, let's get into it. This is uh, this is going to be really interesting and and uh, and dare I say fun? I hope uh, so. I, I hope so too. Uh, uh, Phil, uh, Brian, why don't you why don't you set this up because um, uh, you have a bit of a history with Phil? Yeah. So uh, I first met Phil probably when I was like twelve or thirteen years old. Um, he was the manager of my minor hockey team, and uh, I always remember. You know, like when you when you have like adults in positions of authority when you're younger like some of them are like strict and like 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 not very fun to be around phil was like the opposite of that he was like fun to be around like always always loved spending time with them and then as i grew up and life went on sort of kept in touch on facebook um i knew knew that he was listening to the podcast the original went, intention of facebook <laughs> yeah exactly right he went on a, a quite a journey of his own and then ended up uh with a cancer diagnosis which we're going to talk about today but um yeah it's phil it's really great to see you because i haven't seen you in person for uh, quite some time and yeah well thanks brian um you know i uh, i remember you well 
as a, as a young man, you were one of the good guys. Like, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, as the kind of guy I was growing up, I loved young people. And so I wouldn't say that I was always fun loving because, you know, I need to put my foot down and put my foot you down. You got to do it. But, um, Certainly with your kids anyway. But, yeah, uh, yeah, but, but. I, 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 never, I, I love people that have spunk and spark. And, oh, you know, Brian has and, spunk. I'll tell you that, uh, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so he fit the model, like, uh, you know, quite nicely into the kind of people that I love having around. So it all worked out well, and I'm glad that we're reconnecting today. Yeah. So you, so you, uh, you know, we, we, we were chatting quite a bit before, uh, before we, we kicked off the, the conversation, and, and we were kind of talking about, like, you, um, maybe before we get into it, Brian alluded to the cancer diagnosis, but that, um, you know, you've had, like, a, you've had a bit of, like, a, a journey of, of health. Like, you were at, you were kind of, like, in a, in a peak physical um, peak, like peak health, you were saying before the cancer diagnosis, like what's your, what's your like relationship, you know, we, and we were chatting about, you know, bike rides and marathons and stuff like that. What's your relationship to, to like health in general? Well, to my absolute embarrassment, I, I started my working life as a gym teacher out in Spryfield and, you know, graduated at Dalhousie, the program there in 1976. Embarrassment? You know, you, you, well, gym no, teachers well, are my no, favorite. No, sorry, not the embarrassment about the gym teacher, but embarrassment that I let my my physical, uh, uh. you know, get away to the point that I was 280 pounds plus for four and a half years ago. Um, how that happened, I don't know, just things happen in life and yeah. all of a sudden you turn around and you go, I mean, I was so uncomfortable. I'm at this place called Franz in Toronto, which is, I love the this diner. place, this diner. So good. I could not fit in the booth. Oh my gosh. And uh, we went out to um, Canada's Wonderland. There was a ride that I couldn't get in the harness on. Oh. And that was just so disturbing. It did, But it still didn't affect me enough to make kind of lifestyle changes I needed. What happened was um, I have a little brother, three big brothers, little brothers by the name of Brad Crosley. And uh, we've been hanging out since he was 12 years old. And we still hang out today. So we're still very, very close and hang out all the time. And his daughter, when she graduated at Boston U in her grad studies, came and said, Dad, we have to do an adventure. And the adventure that they picked to do was a Transamerica bike race. Now, for those who don't know what that is, it's where you get on a bicycle in Astoria, Oregon, and you have all your camping gear. It's all self-supported. You don't have a team. It's just you and your bike and whoever you're with. And then you head across America to hit Yorktown, Virginia. Whoa. And there's no route, right? You choose your own route? Oh, no. They, there is a very specific route. Okay. Some of them that is true of. Um, so there are some of them where you, you have check-in points and you pick your route. But right, this right. one has a very specific route. Okay. And you have a satellite tracker. And if you go off route, then you need to come back where oh, you went no. off and get back on route. Oh, wow. So it could be that you decided, oh, I'm going to stay in a hotel tonight and you need to leave the route by a couple of kilometers. Right. Then you need to come back to that point and pick it up at that point. Or if you have a breakdown and you need to go somewhere to get your bike, you need to come back to the point. How much did you weigh at the time of, of well, agreeing to do this? Well, on day one when they started, which I think was June 3rd, 2017, I would have been 280 plus pounds. I, don't, I can't even tell you. I just know I was 280 something. Right, wow. And uh, Brad said, listen, here's the deal. I'll give you, uh, I'll loan you a bike while we're away. And every day you ride a little bit. And I said, well, that sounds like, you know, reasonable. And he was doing fundraising too. So I was doing a lot of the stuff here to line them up when they would do an interview with um, uh, a, ra a radio station here a couple of days a week. 
so I was kind of involved on that side of it, and I did the website for them and was tracking them and stuff. So, um, anyway, day one, I go out that they're going out, and I got on the bicycle, and I drive to the end of my street and home, which would be less than two kilometers. And I get in the driveway and I go, oh, what the fuck have I put myself, <laughs> two, myself two, in two, two kilometers. And the trans, Trans-America's got to be, what, 3,500, 4,000 kilometers? Something oh, like that? more like 6,000. Wow. Yeah. So, so uh, they, like, they went off to do this, the Trans-American bike race, and you were sort of like helping and, and like, yeah, I was like overseeing things from the background. But then that sort of inspired you to like, but get on I the had bike. agreed I was going to get on the bike every day. Right. Well, when <laughs> I got back in my driveway, I'm sucking wind. My heart rate is probably hitting. <laughs> Yeah, no my blood pressure's up. I'm flushed. My ass looks hurts like hell. I can barely <laughs> walk on my legs. Get the bike up the driveway. That's Taylor I mean, every day. I mean, I'm just oh well. Yeah, I can't it was. Yeah. every every morning. <laughs> Taylor was. walks in the studio, and that's all I fucking hear is like, oh, my <laughs> ass hurts, and I'm flushed. But, but as I say, man, I just I'm just going. What have I let myself in for? The next day, I went out, did the same route. wasn't so bad. The next day, I went out and I went a little further, and each day I went a little more and a little more. Um, till I was up to about five kilometers. And where I lived in Portland, the state's in dark, but there's lots of good trails around that it's easy to mm-hmm. drive and you're not on streets. And, mm-hmm. you know, not that I was worried about streets so much, but they're pretty flat. Um, so I just kept building up and building up, building up. And then all of a sudden the weight started to drop off without me doing any other changes. So hmm. my wife and I, we kind of chatted about it and said, look, I would like to get healthier. I'd like to, I was an unhealthy feeling, but I would like to look better. I look in the mirror and I'm embarrassed with how I look. Can't be getting, I can't get in a, you know, can't sit at Franz in a place. Can't, you know, couldn't get on this ride at Canada's Wonderland. It's mm-hmm. just, everything is, can't even roll over in bed easily. Yeah. Like, I don't know what kind of mattresses, you know, those mattresses, the memory <laughs> foam. Yeah, like the once, little like the little Once you feel yourself suck in, good luck. I practically need a bar to be able to haul myself over it. Yeah. Man, it was so bad. You know, and I look around at obese people today, and I wasn't anywhere near the size of them, and I was thinking living life this big is a problem. Anyway, we, um, we did a couple things. We started to cut back portion sizes. We ate more regularly. Uh, we went to try to eat uh, food from sc- that we made from scratch as a, as a pros to... Um, uh, that and 30 days later, I was down about 30 pounds. And, wow. Um, I was doing 30 to 40 kilometers on the bike. Never hills. Right, sure. Well, I found flat. all the routes that were really all flat downhill. all through dark. All downhill. Uh, well, you, you can't quite do all downhill, but... Um, and I did learn early on, there's no shame pushing your bike up a hill. Yeah. Uh, but just one thing led to another. Now, I'm not talking I was thin, but as a surprise, uh, Brad's best friend and his wife and I, we drove down to Virginia to meet him at the finish line and we took bikes along. And another friend of his that cycled with him out of Boston met us there too and we went out about 10 kilometers before the finish to surprise me. It, it did surprise uh, me. We were that's there. so awesome. Wow. And, um, and uh, you know, but uh, that 10 kilometers out there and back, which is nothing. Yeah. But, you know, and that's how quickly I transitioned. And I kept cycling and cycling and cycling. And one thing, another, um, one of the other guys they had uh, met on the race, a guy named Nick Macy out of the UK, uh, he needed a lift up to New York. So um, Brad's car was there because a friend had brought it down and he and his wife stayed. And we took this other guy and dropped him in New York. And he sent me a note a couple of months later because he saw I was still riding. I was posting on Facebook and you know tracking my rides and doing stuff. He said, you know, there's this race in Denmark. First time they've ever done it around Denmark. You know, it's about 2,000 kilometers. It might be one to consider. It's a pretty flat country. You get to see Europe. 
So I thought about it. I said, he must be out of his freaking mind thinking I can do this self-supported race around Denmark. And then I thought a little more about it. Well, who would know? If the whole thing went south, mm. who would know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I decided <laughs> to register. And it was the next, like, you know, this is in the fall. And the race was next July, you know, the next July. So mm-hmm. I had lots of months. And so I really started to get myself ready to and be And you able saw to the do. benefit from the previous, from like a, a relatively short period of time. Oh, I, I kept cycling and I yeah. was cycling every day. And I was up to 30, 40, 50 kilometers a day. And then I started to push the envelope on that, you know, that I would cycle down to um, Muscadelbert Harbor and then cut across over to the airport and then home. You know, that's like 120. It's and a that's route. a full cycling day. Yeah, right? yeah. So we're not talking that you just go out and do that on a whim. Well, I had the advantage. I'm retired. I had retired from Dow, uh, 2000, end of 2015. So mm-hmm. easy. I had the time, and, and I just got into it. I went over, and I did the race. There were 20 people registered. 16 people started. For whatever reason, four dropped out. Eight finished, and the other eight dropped out. Oh, wow. I was the last one to finish after 13 days. Um and one person was disqualified. So officially, <laughs> on the inaugural running of this race around Denmark, I, Canadian little old fellow here at age 65, you know, <laughs> is on the Hall of Fame as one of the finishers. So that's it was so very awesome. cool. So, that's that's, a, so, so that, that all started the, 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 you know, from the time uh, Brad and his daughter were going to do the Trans, Trans America and then to this. That would like, be a year and a bit later. Okay, now. so the, and, the, and the Trans America, that was four, you said like four that or five would, years ago? That was 2017 when they okay, did it. Yeah, Brad's yeah. done it again since then because yeah. he wanted to beat the 33-day mark and do it in less than 30, which he did. So that was, that was 2017, the beginning of this. Yep. You do the race in 2018. I went to the Netherlands in 2018. Okay, and you went to the Netherlands in 2018. It was a much more aggressive race. Yes. And it was different. It was in May. And the weather normally in May in the Netherlands is around 15 to 20 degrees, but it was more zero to a five. And I, oh, the first part of it was just so cold. And then wild, wild camping in the woods, I was just freezing. I ended yeah. up, yeah. so I ended up doing more campground stuff where I could control a little bit and things like that. Mm. But, uh, so I didn't quite make the Netherlands that year. So, but um, I had become quite tight with, uh, with uh, the race organizers uh, from the year before. And I was brought Canadian pins that I got from our MP, and so I was well known by people. <laughs> but that race was so bad that more than half the people dropped out wow. because of the, the weather conditions were just so rough. And it was funny, I, I was coming into Rotterdam, and all of a sudden I hear people going the other direction, go, go, Phil, go. And I'm going, whoa, what, who are these people? And then, of course, they text me a little bit later and say, I know you didn't know who we were, but this is the, we were on their way to get the ferry back to the UK because they were bailing. <laughs> now, at, at, this, at this point in your life, like, do you... You know, at 65 years old. Well, I'm 67 right now. 67 now. Almost so, 60, 68 on the 25th. Okay, so, so you know, uh, mid to late 60s, are you feeling like, um, you know, the beginning of 2019, are you feeling like you are at the peak of your health um, in, in years? Um, in 2019, I would absolutely tell yeah. you yes. Now, the end of 2019, your your world got flipped upside down. It did. On uh, December, well, early on in November, I had what's called a barium swallow. And then I saw my own physician that says, you know, there is, there are these, um, the reason you're having trouble swallowing is, is that there's these, uh, oh, I forget the name of them, but carcinogen. Car- um, you know, there's, there's tumors. Mm. And then I needed to go and do an endoscope with the specialist in December. 
Now the barium swallow. Can I ask you about this? Sure. I think we we literally were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, when we were talking about the epiglottis. When we were talking about the epiglottis, and was that a barium swallow? Yes. This is this is where you swallow barium, and they they track they're tracking it. They're doing a movie of it. Yes, it goes through your GI. Okay. We were asking, uh, we were asking ourselves about this. What does it taste? What like? What does the barium taste like? Because I've had barium nah. shoved up my ass, nah. and I couldn't taste it that way. <laughs> no, funny, eh? well, well, you can't taste it, things when no it goes in that end. Eh? Uh, funny about uh, yeah. that. I know. Jeremy's, Jeremy's a constant research. Uh, it wouldn't be something you'd want to line up. So it's yeah. not like having JD Shore. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, well, it kind of looks like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it. Um, uh, I didn't mind it. Um, okay. As I said, I wouldn't line up for it. Um, and it's really just in your mouth and down your throat. So yeah. they want you to do the swallow now as they start the recording and you're yeah. standing in front of the machine and, so that it can track it. And the barium swallow was what showed them that you had some sort of, you had tumors going on somewhere in your... It in was your... very clear in the barium swallow. Um, it, it gave them imaging at the distal end of my esophagus and the top of my stomach that yeah. it was very clear that there were things there that shouldn't be there. And the barium surfaced that. And it, it showed that my, my, um, you know, my uh, um, esophagus wasn't opening the way it should be sure. opening to let food pass. Mm-hmm. There was one day I got a little bit of roast beef so stuck in my throat that I ended up going to the hospital. Oh, um, wow. And I didn't right away because we, we used to uh, billet a couple of Mooseheads players. And... Uh, they, they had a game and I had to get their meal ready. So I just, oh, I spent an hour and a half trying to clear what was stuck. But eventually I said, I got to yeah. go to the hospital. And by the time I got to the hospital, it actually had passed. So it did when I sort of Wait, arrived. You were getting their meal ready, but you had just eaten some roast beef. So what do you feed these guys? Like shittier meal and then you're eating the oh, roast no, beef? No, it was the, want... no, it was the roast beef that they <laughs> were, were having. You were no, testing I, the roast beef. Yeah, well, it was Alexi, the uh, one was Alexi Gravel and... Um, and um, the other was Ostaf Safin that year. And, okay. uh, and the Mooseheads and, are our, our local QMJHL yeah, hockey team. Yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, I'm sorry, no, it wasn't. It was, uh, um, uh, it wasn't Ostaf. It was, um, oh gosh, isn't that terrible? Oh gosh. We'll call this chemo fog. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah, uh, play, just, yeah play, play, play that cancer card <laughs> yeah, for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I do flip that cancer yeah, card, and it I, works. I man. bet you it do. When, when, when you when you went in to get the barium swallow, it was it was because you were having I was difficulty having I had swallowing. started to have a trouble swallowing in August. Okay, and it was just getting well a little bit earlier than that, but it was just getting worse and worse and worse. That everything was difficult to swallow, even liquids. And uh, when they when they find these tumors in your esophagus is is it right like right away do you hear the word or the term esophageal cancer or or does that does the cancer diagnosis come a little bit later after later they go they they must have to biopsy the the tumors that's exactly right so december 18th i met uh, dr allison wallace and she was spectacular hard to believe she was old enough to be a surgeon and at the uh, you know that i'd look at her and well everybody looks like kids to me today (laughs) i'm sure uh but she was wonderful and i had an endoscope done on december 18th and after i kind of came out of like i wasn't right out but um, you're pretty you're you know you're in a happy place when you're having an endoscope and you've got this tube down your throat and after I came out, she said, um, well, it, it's really clear. And it's pretty obvious to me that uh, it's, it's probably going to come back as esophageal cancer. Um, uh, but, you know, we can see all of the tumors that are there. So, yeah. uh, you know, sent lots of samples off. And uh, so, yes, you have cancer. Um, we think that it's localized to the distal end of your esophagus and that it's treatable. 
Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll get into your treatment when, you know, when we have all the results back in the new year. Now, that became really, this is one of the most difficult times in my life. And uh, my youngest son, Drew, I think you know Drew, mm-hmm. uh, was getting married up um, in Toronto on uh, New Year's Eve on Spadina at this very cool hotel called Ocho just right around um, uh, just Chinatown. I've been there. So, you know, awesome little is, well, boutique fir- hotel. The, yeah, the first two floors yeah. are great for the wedding. Yeah. Um, and then we had the rest of the hotel for, it's only 12 rooms in it, but there's yeah. lots of other hotels around there too. And in Kensington Markets in the area, as, uh, as my own brother discovered edibles for the first time, which may have proved a little mistake when we <laughs> got to the wedding. Um, but um, uh, so uh, I didn't... Uh, my wife and I even took the bus. Brad knew. Brad was the only, Brad was the one who picked me up from my own doctor earlier in the month after the barium swallow results came in. Um, we chose to keep this very hush-hush because mm. we didn't know what to expect. Uh, but we didn't want any future memories of that wedding to be at all connected to yeah. their dad's going yeah. into cancer care. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was getting increasingly having more and more difficulty swallowing and uh, the tiredness that's associated with cancer was starting to affect me as well Mm. or just you'd be really well and all of a sudden you wouldn't try to cover that up but I think that everybody gets emotional around weddings so you know the fact that I'd have to shoot up to the room and you know the fact the bar was open the whole time which is exactly the kind of weddings I would normally love well you know water with an ice cube looks pretty much the same as you know a shot of nice rye or something else look so um you know nobody nobody really clued in because really the focus is somewhere else so we we kept that secret pretty well and so mm. there's this really but it funny, was hard uh, there's this really funny uh tiktok or instagram reel about uh it's this 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 uh, woman posted it and she said how i expected my father to be at tiller i think you sent it how i expected my father to be at my on my wedding day and it's like these photos of him with her in her dress and they look really nice and then it's like but the actual reality, and it cuts to him just running and diving in a full suit into the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Like penguin diving, arms back. They they didn't have a pool. (laughs) We did have one great night in Toronto, though, earlier on. There's... um, there's this uh, this very cool little little hole in the wall bar down in par- in Parkdale called the the Shameful Tiki Room, and I don't know my health was just perfect and it wasn't that far from where we had an Airbnb before we moved into the hotel and oh we had such a good family night down there and uh, <laughs> with all the explosions the volcanoes and everything else mm-hmm. going off. But the rest of the time, I was pretty unwell, but I just masked it really well while we were there. But yeah. I, so I would have given you know, a pool of me diving yeah. in wouldn't have been off yeah. the... That, I'm that, saying it's actually probably a blessing in disguise. Yeah. You did because, yeah, perhaps. you know, open bar. Yeah, perhaps. You, you could have made a fool of yourself, really. <laughs> yeah, well... I likely like, would have. Well, in fact, it's funny you mentioned that, Jeremy, because one of my children said... Uh, just recently that we were kind of wondering why dad was so laid back. Yeah. <laughs> God, you were tame. So yeah, tame. Well, I'm not wild exactly. <laughs> Although uh, one of the funnier stories was Melanie. We, I went to a fundraiser um, um, that the very first thing that was auctioned was a bottomless mug. That may have proved a mistake because when mm-hmm. Melanie got home later on in the night, uh, she walks in the door and she phones Drew in Toronto and says, Dad's asleep on the steps. What are I doing? And she, Drew goes, well, can you step over? And I said, well, yeah, no, there's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't love a bottomless mug. So at, at what point do you, um, 
I mean, this is something we've talked about on the show a number of times with um, a lot of our past guests who have come down with a, a pretty severe cancer diagnosis, um, which is like the process of explaining to your loved ones that your life is essentially going to change yeah. from this moment forward. Um, how did you how did you go about breaking this news to your family, to your friends? Sure. Well, we, we did keep it very much uh, a secret, but the Friday after everybody was home, um, although not everybody was home, so um, um, uh, Drew and Jade stayed in Toronto to hang out with, with, with her parents, and my son uh, Chris and his wife Becca went out to Minnesota, um, which is her home. She's in just uh, north of Minneapolis to hang out with them. Um, so the Friday um, before or, or after we were all home, um, after my son Adam, who was still living with us at the time, had left for work, I sent everybody a note and basically said, uh, and it was pretty direct, it was, we need to have a family meeting tonight. I'm calling it for 7 o'clock. Um, you guys that are in town plan to be here in the house. Um, and uh, you guys that are away, we'll, we have enough, uh, we have enough uh, uh, IT that we can easily get us all hooked up so right. that everybody's in the family meeting. But we have a health issue to discuss with you. Now, they would mm. have never, ever, I mean, they, I, I wrote it in a way that didn't leave it open for discussion. It was, oh, whatever you have, clear your table. You mm. must be here for it. Um, they would have thought that it was their mother because their mother's health is always, she's always had health issues. I've never had any major health yeah. issues. Um, but I wanted everybody together when we had the conversation. The night before, I had contacted um, Chris and uh, Becca's uh, parents in Minnesota and privately filled them in to say, um, you know, it's going to be a pretty serious meeting. I just want you guys to be emotionally ready to be support pillars, you know, for them. And so mm. please, please sit on this until they come and talk to you. And then I also contacted Jade's parents with exactly the same message in Toronto. Jeez, what a, I mean, um, that's such a, uh, I think that's a really good thing to hear for folks who haven't been through this type of situation yet, yeah. you know, uh, to... I mean, to, to gather everyone that matters to you in one place to, you know, to break the news all at once is, I think, really valuable. But also to, like, inform the other people that won't be attending that event to let them know that, like, this is going to be hard for these people and to, mm -hmm. to encourage them to be a support pillar. Like that, that's, um, mm -hmm. I think this is the first, you're the first person I've ever heard say that, like the, and, and, and take that route. I, mm -hmm. I don't think we've spoken to anyone who's, who's kind of broke the news mm -hmm. that way. And I think it's a lot of like very clear forethought Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. A t in a time where you could definitely be forgiven for not being super. Yeah. I, um, I did write a script and I rehearsed and I rehearsed and I rehearsed and on huh. the morning of Friday, um, I did meet with my wife's mother, who happens to live in the same building we live in. She's 95, um, and said, so I don't want you to share this, but I need to rehearse, and I want you to know um, that you wow. know, this is the direction our future's going. And then I uh, met with my own brother and sister a little later in the morning with the same... It was a way for me to rehearse and mm -hmm. say it out loud. And even and, and there's another good friend I have, a guy named Joel Jacobson, that we're quite tight, and, 
and he and I met again. Just mm. uh, I, I needed to say this as many times as I could. And even when I did meet with the kids, I couldn't get it through without crying. Back. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just, you know, I just, and, and, and it was really hard. And um, yeah. um, if you're curious in reading the script, it's in one of, it's in my way back, one of my early blogs, uh, both what I sent to the kids in the morning as well as what the rest of the day was like, and then the script itself that we went the, through. The blog is uh, philohara.ca, and you uh, maybe you can explain the the thought behind the blog, the the reason sure. you started it. Sure. Um, it's, I mean, you know, I've gone through it uh, quite a bit this morning, and you really you really lay everything out. You well, know, it's it, it it covers this this journey you've been on since December of 2019. Up until now, like I mean, your latest post was yesterday. You know, yeah. a health update yesterday. Yeah, um, yeah. Can you kind of walk us sure. through that? Well, um, as w- before, we really start. As I mentioned, I've really been a lifelong educator. That's been my gig, and I, and um, uh, I, um, we went to one of the sessions, and we ran into somebody we knew not well, but it was someone who my wife is retired as well, but she has a part time job as a clerk at Alderney Library, and she met a woman that would be in her twenties and did was just there because she has breast cancer, had just found out. And she'd moved in from Calgary with her boyfriend. She had no family here. Now, you know, my wife is one of 10 children. We have five children. My, the support people and the, the people that, I, the friends I have from around the world, through my cycling community, through other, you know, my work community of people I know in the U.S. I mean, I just have friends everywhere. Mm. So um, uh, I knew I had piles of support. And it struck me that there's so many people that are entering into this really terrifying future. Yeah. And, and it all is terrifying. Everything about it is. And, but they go home and there's nobody. They're alone. And so I thought maybe the most teachable moment I'll ever have in my life is to share with people my experience. And it could help prepare them, you know, for what they're going to face if they're, you know, find themselves going into either cancer or whatever mm-hmm. uh, life-threatening disease. Now, it's important to point out that at that time, I also expected myself to be cured, fully right. expected mm. that I was curable, that I was treatable and curable. Um, you know, the, the fact that things have changed around all of that is different, but it hasn't changed my perspective. I also, um, uh, at Brad's suggestion, read a book, uh, Tuesdays with Maury. Mm. Yeah. And chapter four, Tuesdays with Maury, is when he talks about death. And I'm not sure why, but it triggered in me the same kind of thing you know, we're we're all on the path to death. I mean, it's yeah. uh, a friend of mine who is is a palliative care uh, physician sort of put it quite nicely in that, you know, we're we're all we're all living, but we're all dying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really uh, disappointing when you find out you're a little further down the dying, the mm-hmm. you know, the the dying timeline that you care to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it, I don't know. All of these things together triggered in me that I can't change that I have cancer. Mm. And esophageal cancer, like so many of the ones that are in through the chest region, my oncology sort of on, you know, circles his chest, there's about four cancers that are all in the chest region. All of them are so difficult to treat because you've mm. had them for such a long time. So my cancer probably, you know, with the first uh, cells that that didn't reproduce correctly probably started 18 to 20 years ago. Oh my gosh, wow. And so, you know, it's just that they're so slow developing, they're the most difficult to treat as well. Um, So, um, um, 
you know, I've learned an awful lot about it. And, and those are the kinds of things that I was sharing through the blog. But yeah. when you go in for radiation treatment, you've got this big friggin' machine that's going to kind of rotate you around. Well, not you, but it rotates around mm. you. And all the noise it makes. And then when you're doing the, you know, doing chemo and you're up in the room where there's, you know, 20 other people in this room or mm. some of the smaller rooms and the machines are going off and they're blinging and they're alarming. Everything about it is terrifying when you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And uh, it just seemed to me that the uh, that uh, to my perspective on life and being alive in the world uh, just seemed to me that if I share these with other people in the same place, maybe it'll take the edge off for them and yeah. that don't have the same support. And so that's what initiated the blog from the get-go was I thought I had something to share about how bad it was because... I don't know. Um, people think that I'm inspirational and courageous. And, you know what? I'm just a regular guy that got dealt a shitty hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like you know that expression, oh, get a lemon, make lemonade. Well, yeah. I'm, yeah, a, ha- I'm a cup half full guy. I'm yeah. not a yeah. cup half empty guy. Yeah. But everybody goes through swings of mood. And I mean, I've had depression over this. I've had, you yeah. know, there's no highs, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a roller coaster of emotions that you're on when you find out that you have a... Yeah. You know, and and you like, you... you the, in the in the same way, something that we find that we find uh, uh, that we find comes up a lot, and it sounds like is come up with you and your experience with writing a blog is that when you write about this experience, although your experience is specific to cancer and a cancer diagnosis, the feelings and the ebbs and the flows and everything are so are, are very like universal for people who are going through a lot of stuff, and not only. And like you, like you said, not only cancer, but for, you know, whatever you might be dealing with, there's a, there's like a relatability out there. And even though you might not be going through that exact same thing, you can find you, you get that sense of not being, (laughs) of not being alone. And, um, Mm -hmm. and that I feel like, you know, if we had to, you know, run our entire podcast through a, um, you know, through a sifter, I think that would probably be the thing that would remain, you know, in the pan would be I the, think you're right. Would be that there's yeah. there's a relatability the, um, there. I think the 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 post that had the hugest response, well over a thousand people, uh, went through it was um, it was I don't know, maybe two three months ago. But there's a document that Nova Scotia Health puts out called Death and Dying, and it mm. really talks a lot about getting ready for you know when you're going to pass. Uh, and a life planning and things like that. But it also has a section on what it's like, the process of dying. And what I did was I rewrote it. Um, I didn't plagiarize it because I gave them full credit, but I rewrote it by personalizing it. Um, how accurate did you find that it was? Like how much, how relatable was what they what they write? Like how much did you relate to well, it? Well, I'm not really close to where the, what their stuff is about yet. Yeah, uh, I, I read it this morning. Yeah. It's, I mean, the post is... It, it's really hard to read. Oh yeah, it's a hard it, read. It's, it's a hard read, but it's it's um, you know it, it really the reason it's hard to read is because it's all the things that I mean I, I'm speaking personally for myself. The reason it was hard for me to read it was all the things that I didn't consider will happen to someone when they are nearing the end of their life. Um, specifically, you know. Someone who is who is sick and on their on their deathbed, you know. And my my wife's father passed away um, in 2020, and she was there for the entire process. 
And her and I have talked about that experience. And a lot of the things that I read in this post were things that her and I didn't talk about that I know that she was witness to. You know, and, and these, things, these things are like um, the way that your body, the way that your body shuts down and the way that it, mm. the way that it outwardly manifests. So, you know, your breathing, your breathing changes, your, the, the, the dryness of your lips, your, 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 your eyes not, no longer being able to keep them themselves moist anymore. So you need, you know, someone to be there to be putting artificial tears in and your ability to eat and, and drink or inability to eat and drink. And it's, um, one of the things that I thought was really um, interesting that you that you wrote in this post was like these things that I know that I'm likely going to be going through at some point soon are going to be a lot harder for you guys than it's going to be for me. That is correct. And and when I think about death and dying, that's my bit. That's my biggest fear. It's not. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of the process. I'm afraid of what everybody else has to fucking deal with. What everybody else has to see. Like that's the thing that that really rocks me. Yeah, it's it it's so profoundly like emotional to think of that. But I just got out of an hour long therapy session where I was talking about my managing my emotions and my expectations of other people's emotions. And like after that therapy session, I'm like, wow, like like all you can do is let go of that because I mean, you can support those people, which is the beautiful thing about this post that you wrote, Phil is like, this is, you know, your best way to support people to, to not manage their emotions or uh, not manage their emotions, but give them something so that, so that their expectations can they, so that I guess you're managing their expectations to a certain extent but you can't manage how they Correct. feel about it. That, that was my goal, to exactly do that and to prepare people. Because um, one, of, one of my decisions was I wanted to die at home. And I wanted to die at home so there'd be no limitations on anybody who wanted to come and visit. Now, I expect to be you know, lucid and, and, and pretty healthy until all of a sudden I'm not, and then I'll slip into unconsciousness. But who knows what I'll hear when I'm unconscious, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to crawl in bed, will I feel you, your warmth next to me? Of course I will, or probably will. Mm. Um, even if, you know, even if, you know, I'm not really able to interact with the world. But given that even though, you know, I'm, I'm so small now and I'm clearly not the picture of health I used to be, I'm still quite healthy for someone with cancer. Mm. And my oncologist he keeps calling me his favorite patient. I don't know how many says that too, but <laughs> because I come in and he's he's this brilliant, brilliant man. And and uh, my experience with our health system here in Nova Scotia, as much as we crap on all the time, it has not been that. It's been anything mm. but that. Mm. Um, and when he, um, well, I'll get into that in a moment. But nonetheless, I just wanted to say um, when I uh, had my surgery on May twenty uh, second in two thousand twenty. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. 
Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. The hospital late in the morning with one expectation of surgery, it ended up being another 10, and I was 10 hours as on the table out. Um, and, and, and it changed from what I expected to what it was, which we can talk about in a moment. Mm-hmm. But, but um, then I, um, two days later, um, mm-hmm. had uh, all the blood in my legs pool up and flood my lungs. Mm-hmm. And the Jeez. only reason I survived was because I was in such good health. Mm. Then my, my body tissues had enough oxygen to sustain it so they could drain my lungs enough so I could start transport oxygen wow. again. I, um, I, I want to I talk about um, the physical prog- progression because the last part that we sort of left in your story is right. when you were telling your, your family and at that point you did not have terminal cancer. You had a, a, correct. A, an esoph- esophageal cancer diagnosis. But before we move on to that, I just want to comment on the, the fact about talking about dying at home um, I, I think that that's really the way that you put it and saying that, you know, you might not be lucid, but you might be able to feel the people there with you. It's also super valuable for your loved ones to be able to have that time with you. And I learned that in the way that, um, you know, I had a, a good friend who, uh, was hit by a car when I was 16 years old, who, who died while I was away and I wasn't able to attend the funeral. And the grieving part of that for me was extremely challenging. Like it took me a long, a long time to sort of come to terms with her death. Um, but our friend Brandon, I was actually able to spend 15 minutes with him the day before he died in, in the hospital and sort of say all of these things that I wanted to say to him. And he wasn't lucid at that point, but, um, I felt in my heart that he heard the things that I was saying. And Mm. for me, it was, an invaluable part of of the grieving process to know that I had that time with him to say those things, and so um, you know he, he was in the hospital at the time. I mean it, that that he might have been able to see more people if he wasn't in the hospital at, at the time, or more people would have been able to see him. But I think that it is a really incredible, incredibly valuable part of the dying process for people to be able to come to you and say those things, and also because you know my mom lost her mother um, to cancer when she was uh, 30 years old and she wasn't able to say the things to her before she passed away that she would have liked to. And, and I mean, that sticks with her to this day. So, yeah. yeah and, For anybody and, listening, I think that that's no, really I think you're. I think you're right on. And um, uh, the, I, I, I have made one minor change to my plan. I, I found out recently that... 24-hour care, which is really what I'll need when, you know, when I'm unconscious and just somebody mm-hmm. to help. It would be really beyond my wife's ability to provide that. It would be unreasonable. So I will move into a hospice. But hospice still doesn't restrict people visiting mm. in the same way that mm. the hospitals do. And that's right. really was a big part of it. Like there's no care at that point. Like there's, there may be some pain management, but there's no medical treatments that are mm-hmm. any are pointless at that yeah. point. So, um, uh, so I've modified my plan a little bit that, you know, when I reach the point that I need 24-hour attention, um, time to move into a hospice. So I'm making arrangements for that. Is, well. the, is, is there, if, you, if that was something that you wanted to do at home and like 24-hour care would be necessary, um, 
Did, like, did you look at into like the the potential costs of of uh, that? Only to the point that it it's uh, our uh, we we have pretty good medical coverage. My wife's a retired teacher, and we've mm-hmm. always been on her plan. Uh, but it won't it won't support twenty four hour care. So yeah, that's it's, it's that's quite, digging into your extensive. own pocket. So you're yeah. looking at private arrangements with a private agency that would yeah. probably be multiple people. At the end of the day, I'm dying, man. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. you know why why put that financial burden as yeah. another expense when there's no real return in the <laughs> hospice, it's down on Franklin Street. Yeah. And, I mean, I, all the arrangements are finalized for that, but it's pretty likely that I'll be able mm-hmm. to go there. I'm mm-hmm. all, I, I, I need to do a few more things to get myself organized to be there, but uh, it's, um, it's, it's a good option and people mm-hmm. can stay overnight. There's mm-hmm. accommodations for them and there's no limitation to 24 hours a day of people coming in that want to come in. Um, so I don't know all the answers yet, but my expectation based upon how generally I'm pretty healthy, I'm going to be healthy until I'm not. Well, I should be clear. I've never been healthy since I've been diagnosed in yeah. a way that normal Rel- health relative. is. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's all relative. So when you have a near normal health day, that's a moment for celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the um, the um, I think that I'll be really healthy until I degrade and they'll degrade very quickly yeah. so i expect that um you know I'll, I'll, there'll be a turning point where i know okay organs are starting to fail yeah a few have already but so what, what what was that transition like brian alluded brian mentioned that um a few minutes ago what was that transition when you know okay. you, you sit down you have that conversation with your family and at that point you think it, you're you know you're it's a it's a diagnosis you don't you know yeah uh, okay. what the treatment is like how- so the sequence was i did radiation did chemo had surgery um, and it was, the surgery was originally going to take my esophagus, most of it, and then a bit of my stomach, and then stretch the stomach up and rejoin it with the esophagus. That was the planned surgery on May 22nd in 2020. Um, when they, and it was supposed to be just a few little pinholes and pretty simple surgery, but well, I mean, it was still six to eight hours. It wasn't simple, but it wasn't dramatic. But and this was to remove the part of your esophagus, the esophagus that, that had the, that tumors, had the in tumors in it. it. Um, when they got inside, they found out that really my whole stomach was engaged. And it was esophageal cancer cells, but they were in my, my stomach was totally engaged. Mm. So now I have a zipper, uh, you know, from my belly button up to my, up to my ribs. Um, my whole stomach was taken. Um, the uh, good portion of my esophagus, the, um, the valve at the bottom of the stomach where it enters into the little intestine was sealed off so that my liver and pancreas are still in, in the GI tract, but not that anything's flowing through them, but they still can release the enzymes they need to, that mm. you need in your GI tract. Um, and How do you they, eat? Uh, or normally, like you do. Nothing any different, but small portions. Oh, I see. So they went down and they harvested a piece of the soft intestine. The first part of your intestine is actually quite hard where the liver and the pancreas are attached, right. and it's attached to other parts of your body to kind of keep it in position. But then they went down, they harvested 40 centimeters um, of my small intestine and joined everything together uh, with my esophagus. Oh, wow. And it joins below my pancreas. And so my pancreas and liver are still... However, recently I found out that my pancreas has gone into atrophy, atrophy. So I take enzymes. I don't know, Jeremy, maybe you take enzymes. I know for, what's up. Yeah, how many pancreas. do you take? Uh, uh, I'm doing um, uh, 10 milligrams, uh, two, t- two times 10, 20, um, you know, 20 minutes before I eat. 
Uh, okay. Is it milligrams? Whatever it is. Yeah, you know what? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the measure I don't know. is. I got a bottle whatever. here somewhere. But, yeah. Uh, you just said pills. I just, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, well, I'm just same like, thing. I, just, I don't know. I got to look at it and I read it and say, yeah. but I do too. I'm, I'm finding that too, maybe I need to do a little more because that also had a lot to do with my weight loss because with when my pancreas, uh, when they discovered my pancreas was in atrophy, but no, not disease. So, I mean, there's a positive and negative. It's not doing its job anymore, but yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, that means that I'm not able to absorb fats and starches in my intestines the way I should. So going back to your question, how do you eat? Six to eight times a day, small meals. Yeah, so it just goes portions. down the what you have left of the esophagus yeah. straight into your yeah. small intestine. Yeah. Wow. And then, you know, small and large and... Um, you know, everything is sort of normal. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. not normal, normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's sort of normal. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, what shocks me is, um, you know, even with how little I feel I'm eating during the run of a day. So, you know, well, like when Drew and I, uh, we, we did a road trip. Uh, my sons and I did a road trip and went to this restaurant called Barbarians in Toronto. It's the greatest steakhouse. Shared a meal. <laughs> and he was the benefactor of that because of that steak. I had like a third of it, yeah, and he yeah. had the rest of it, and it was just such a... He said, Dad, this is the best steak I've had in my life. So so <laughs> when they go in and they see, okay, your stomach's engaged, this is like far more extensive than yeah. into, uh, originally thought. Um, was that the first step right there, that, that major surgery, or or was chemo like an option Oh no! Right chem- off the bat. Uh, well, the chemo was to well, chemo goes and attacks all fast developing cells. So the idea in the chemo was to slow down any of the development of the tumor prior to having the surgery. Oh, I see. Um, so I came out of surgery, and they were still pretty confident that they got most of the cancer. Uh, I had a CAT scan in July, so that's May, and in July, and like even though it had, even though it was, it was in more places than they thought it was originally. It- they thought that they got, they were confident yeah, that they, they got Yeah, they were confident that, uh, yeah, with what they removed that, um, you know, I'm pretty, pretty likely uh, on the survivor track. Yeah. Uh, the CAT scan showed a few images in my liver, and uh, then I had more extensive, I had an MRI and other things done. Um, and uh, in August of uh, 2020, um, I went to see my oncologist that I see now all the time. His name is Merziki. Um, he's just this absolutely brilliant, caring, caring physician. He's, the, he's a, just such a top shelf guy. Um, he said, uh, I walked in, he says, I have the worst possible news. And I uh, said, oh, well, what's that? He said, um, your cancer's metastasized in your liver. So you now have esophageal cancer in your liver. Um, there is no cure. So there's now, we have some treatment options, and there are three of them. Treatment one, do nothing, and you probably have six to eight months to live. Treatment two, kind of moderate chemo. And, uh, you know, it, it works for lots of people. Or, or option three is uh, we can hit you with the most aggressive chemo we have, which I picked the most aggressive chemo, which is oxyplatin, and started that in uh, late September of 2020. Um, and it was very effective. So you do it in cycles where you you go in, and I have uh, what's called a portacath. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. kind of see when I press, there's a little, like half a half the size of a ping pong ball in mm-hmm. my chest. And what's nice is when you have a portacath, instead of them having to dig around in your veins to, to, to get things in, it's just one quick pop. Straight to you, the heart. Yeah, and it, it just has a tube that goes up and then back right down a vein. It's really quite close to the heart, but it it's such a tiny little piece of flesh that the needle goes through that it's not as 
damaging overall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think a portacath is, you know, because you're, I could be wrong, but I think because you're putting liquid poison into your body, it's a little less, you know, going through that artificial vein to get it into your, into your system is a little less uh, irritating yeah. than going yeah, through. Yeah, it could be. Could be, but you're right. Chemo is poison. Yeah, you are right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so I was going on an infusion pump once a week. Um, there I'd be sitting in the chair for about four hours, and then uh, then I'd get a slow drip baby bottle. So I don't know they call them baby bottles, but effectively Cute. you're on for about 48 <laughs> hours. So I went out and got myself a nice little um, uh, pouch that would hold the bag. You're going to wear this little chemo bag, mm-hmm. and it drips for 48 hours, and then you pop it on. Two days later, you just you know, and I was taught how to be able. Oh, to so you take myself. it home and everything. Oh yeah, you got to keep it yeah. on, and it just drips over a slow period oh, okay. of time, and do that two weeks on, and then one week off, and multiple cycles. Well, it was working really well. When I had my next CAT scan, um, I didn't have it. I some of the tumors were bigger, some were smaller, but there was no new tumors, so it was really doing. Uh, but in February of 2021, my oncologist um, in a face to face, he goes, um, I have to have you stop the treatment. Your bone marrow is being destroyed. And that's somehow, some people react that way to it. And it's so low that I'm fearful that even if you have one more treatment, that your bone marrow will be totally destroyed. Well, I don't know how much you know about bone marrow, but that's where your blood cells are produced. And there is no alternative. It's not like you can just get blood from somewhere. When your bone marrow is not producing bone cells anymore, you die. Whoa. There's nothing more. You're what, done. What happens to your body wow. when that happens? Um, Just lights out. Lights yeah. out. Yeah. There's no, no, more, no more blood. You're done. The machine, yeah, the you're, machine stops you're, chugging. You're, yeah, you, you aren't producing. You have to be able to produce your own blood cells. And so I said, so, uh, um, uh, uh, although this is effectively stalling your disease, um, we knew then there was no cure. You know, officially I'm a palliative care stage four cancer guy. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's sort of the official classification, but, um, but that was that sort of, I, you know, got that in August. That was a pretty tough month for me. I didn't do much writing. Um, I, you know, I was low, I was high. It was a lot of, went through a lot of, and people started to write, is everything okay? We yeah. haven't heard from you for a while. And I just needed time to process, but yeah. I did process and. I got back on my feet and said, "Oh well, well, we're gonna fucking move forward and have a good time for yeah, whatever yeah. I got left." Was that was that was August when you when you had that meeting with your oncologist and he says you've got the worst possible news? Yeah. Was it was it? Um, I know you said you were processing it like in that in that process and and I guess in that time to February when it's like you got to stop the treatment. Up in from the August to the the news, you got to stop the treatment because of the bone marrow issue. Are you? Are are you have you are you gone have you gone through a process of of like I'm now I'm now maybe not fully accepting of it but I I'm I understand what the future holds for me or is there a sense or is there still a piece that's that's going you know a piece of you that's saying well you know we can still turn this ship around you know by some no that, I never went through that um, I never had a sense we can turn this around I. I knew, um, you know, I did as much reading as I could on it, and and I asked lots of questions of my oncologist and other people that are are in the know, um, and I knew that there's, um, you know, there's really there are no real options. The only hope is is that some of the treatments you can do will extend your life, mm-hmm. and um, the um, one of one of the positive notes when I told the family was my youngest son or my middle son Chris. 
was announced that they had just found out that they were pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my grandson was born August 31st. And um, it became kind of um, a cornerstone for me to try to live long enough that he will have a memory of Papa. Mm-hmm. And he's now a little over a year old, so you know I got to keep on chugging. I got to make sure there's a few yeah. more cycles in it. And you could do just a little piece of advice here. One year old, right? So every like I don't know every Friday, pop on over for a little visit if you can, and uh, and just come up behind him and and just go boom and just scare the living <laughs> shit out of him, right? That'll imprint. He'll never forget. Yeah, I'm pretty, he'll be 30, 30 years old and he'll just always be looking over his shoulder. Yeah. Let me give some due consideration yeah. to that this yeah. afternoon. I'll think that think one through. Think or, I'll think or, that one through. Or uh, get a dog and take the dog over and just let the dog, don't, not a hard bite, but just, just a little nip. Little nip. Yeah. <laughs> just a little enough to. to oh, all great ideas. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Where's the round file here? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, kind of back to, um, so I'm, now I'm off the chemo. And that's good because when you get a bit of a chemo holiday, <coughs> some of your side effects. So my worst side effect, I was losing weight, but not super badly. But I was down in the 150s and that was okay. But the numbness in my hands and feet and the body weight changes, uh, my balance is not where it used to be. I just um, can't do anything about it. So I very deliberately walk, you know, with a wider stance. I really am very careful. Um, you know, I, um, you know, I'm glad these are comfortable chairs because I have no ass anymore. <laughs> All I have is a tailbone. And so, you know, I need to have those, you know, I even got a cushion that I keep in my car now. Um, so that, you know, my tailbone can kind of slip in the hole cause there's just no ass there yeah, to right. give me any I, kind of support. Um, Phil, I know that you said you were talking about, uh, sort of, especially coming off of chemo, like having this sort of sense to, to want to make the most of the time that you have left. And I know that you've been doing a bunch of things that, you know, I think a lot of people uh, would love to do and might, might be on a lot of people's bucket bucket list. But I think that you've been, you've been doing a lot of those things to try to scratch them off your list before um, you can't do them anymore. Do you want to talk about some of those things? Yeah, absolutely. Just one final note, by the way, I did go back on moderate um, chemo. Okay. And, um, so one of the things on the bucket list was I bought myself a Harley Davidson 883, which is nice. a little sportster. Hell yeah. So it's not a big hog. We're talking just a small little <laughs> Harley Davidson. Um, Any Harley Davidson is really a but, Do you well, use a pillow on the seat? No, I'm okay with that. <laughs> However, um, I started to ride it and I, I'm so nervous on it because of my balance that mm. even now uh, my son Drew's very happy because I'm not riding it and I let him take it because <laughs> uh, I'm just a little too nervous on it. But if I could put some weight on and get a little bit of strength back, uh, um, I'd be okay to do a little bit of riding, but I'd, I wouldn't ride where it's busy and stuff like that. But, there's so much But it's so nice to be able to get out. And it's a nice, you know, it's not a big bike. It's sort of their entry level Harley, but it's a Harley. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so, so that was one of my, one of my uh, checks on the bucket list. I did that in February. It was way too cold to ride there. Oh, yeah. but, but I did it because it committed me to doing it and da, da, da. So, so uh, that was uh, definitely one. But, so the reason I mentioned it was so my son Drew's over and he takes out for a ride and I did buy a second parking spot where in our in our apartment so I have a place to keep the bike inside and it and and that works out really great. He didn't quite put it back in the right place. So I Classic. get up on uh, the first day of my 
more moderate chemo, which is oral, which is easy, four pills in the morning, four at night. Mm -hmm. The very first day I'm starting, and I, I went over to get the blood work done at the clinic, and I come back, and I think, ah, I'm just going to push that back. So I get on the bike. I don't have the keys. I'm not starting it up. I'm, you know, I'm not driving it. I'm just nudging it back to get a little bit more out of the way. And I didn't notice as I was nudging that um, the kickstand popped up. Ah. So I went to put the bike on the kickstand, no kickstand. Of course, I'm way too weak to be able to catch it. So down goes my brand new Harley, which oh, probably no. doesn't even have 200 kilometers on it. Oh, no. And boom, it's on the ground. But I jumped out of the way. Now, I'm just so pissed at myself. And I know how to pick a bike up. And I just stupid am looking for it. Oh, and I'm just growling at myself. And I, instead of doing it the right way, I just grabbed the handlebars, grabbed the back of the seat, started pushing. I'm two-thirds of the way up, and I oh, feel no. a pop in my back, and I hear a snap. Oh, Christ. So down goes the bike, and I, I called um, Drew. He doesn't answer, and then I call my son, Chris, which lives close around. I say, Chris, I'm in the garage. I dropped the bike. I need help. He said, I'll be right there. So down he comes. Did you tell Drew it was his fault, all his fault? <laughs> oh, I've been, uh, we've kind of alluded to that a little bit. Uh, uh, but uh, reality, it wasn't his fault. It was definitely my fault. But, uh, but, you know, when you get a little bit of a needle, you can give a twist. You yeah, want to take yeah, advantage yeah, of those opportunities. Uh, so anyway, so down comes Chris. And he says, oh, I thought you were under the bike. I said, no, I just, I, all I need is I need you to help me up at the apartment. I'll jump in the tub, take a Tylenol or something. We'll be good to go. He says, no, Dad, just get in the front seat. We're going to emerge. Yeah. I said, okay, we'll go up to the apartment and get my chemo drugs because I need to start them right now. I need to take the four pills. This is day one. He says, okay, so I'll go up. And he goes up and he gets my wife. And down we go to emerge. And uh, he writes his wife later and he says, see, Beck, I told you the horrors are tough. Here I am taking dad with broken back to the hospital and he's taking his chemo drugs. <laughs> um, and in fact, I have a compression fracture on my L1. Uh, and, oh my now, God. Now, given everything else, it's, it's taken me weeks. I still have a lump back there now. And, and also too, I, I didn't mention, but I have a hernia where my zipper popped. And so now I'm, oh, wear, I'm wearing one of those belts. Compression. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, uh, you know, Jeez. I said to people recently, I said, I was some friends in Ottawa and I said, just joking. I said, you know, one thing just leads to another and, and you know, and when things are starting to fail, they fail. Christ, I'm almost afraid to eat asparagus. My dick might fall off <laughs> or something. But, you know, but, uh, you know uh, just, um, uh, but I'm not the picture of health I'd like to be, but yeah. I am, I am uh, doing pretty good. So that, that adventure, it's taken me a while to recover, but I'm getting in pretty good shape now. It's, it's, it's healed. The irony is, is that the guy says, did you know you have a not so old uh, compression fracture of your T10? I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, and then I thought back, I was coming across the McKay Bridge on my bike and I got the handlebars stuck. Like I just was zipping along, not paying attention. I went a little too close and the handlebar slipped in the grate and I went over and I must have done it then, but I hurt myself oh, so much in on my your road, shoulder. On your road bike. Yeah, yeah my okay. bicycle. Oh, yes. I must, okay. I must have done it. Oh, sorry, <laughs> not like, the motorcycle. Not the, not the motorcycle. No. Uh, yeah, so I, I must have done it then, but I had hurt my shoulder so much that I get up and the, and the bike still, the tires were inflated, but I, I was all kind of wobbled my way down yeah. to the ferry and went home. Uh, but I must have uh, I must have done it then. I just, I, I don't know, I just wasn't aware of it. Uh, but now, because of it, I'm like 5'5". Five, five. You know, I always was 5'8". That's what my driver's license says. But <laughs> when you put me on a measure, I'm 5'5 five, five now. Mm. So between the two compression... And when you age, you shrink yeah, anyway right. a little bit. As yeah. a guy who's also 5'8", it would be a bummer to be 5'5". Five, 
five after being five eight. Yeah, <laughs> I look up at all my. Yeah. I even look up at my youngest child, and she's I, I, she's always been the shortest one in the family. Yeah. yeah, it's like the difference between five five and five eight. Oh, it's, it's different from five eight to five eleven. Oh yeah, it's big. It's yeah. huge. It's huge. So Phil. Uh, okay, I was so, gonna say also the other you've been driving fast cars and you've been uh, or going for drives in well, fast cars and you've been okay more more, stuff of a, too, more a story there and we can <laughs> let's get into that. So um, I have an O'Day thirty four, which is a sailboat, and uh, my friends put it in the water because I was hospitalized at the time, and so when it went, they launched it for me and got it ready. Uh, but you know, I just was too nervous to sail by myself, and so I wasn't getting as much sailing as I was hoping to get in. And there's a guy by the name of Brett Himmelman. And Brett, yeah, know um, Brett. you know Brett? Yeah. Uh, well, Brett had written about his anxiety issues when he was 15. And I yeah. thought it was a really courageous. And he plays uh, lacrosse with uh, one of Brad's sons, He's Brady. also a, a, a national team oh, canoe well, athlete. Well, we're getting to that. I'm getting yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, Which is why I know him. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right, because yeah. you were paddling. I coached him at Canada Games, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. So anyway, I wrote Brett. And then we, and, and, and uh, this was... Um, Back in January, around the time I had my diagnosis, but I just wrote him with a note of congratulations. How courageous it was to kind of put it out there, and, and how much he's, you know, him becoming an advocate. I don't know. Just one thing: we started the dialogue back and forth a whole lot. And in fact, at that time, although he's, I guess he's kind of groomy, but a guy by the name, oh, he goes by Chase Tang, but he was uh, about ten years his senior, uh, played hockey, I think, for McDonald's when he was here, but he also had anxiety issues. And so I put those guys in touch and, and Chase is now an actor out of Toronto and has a Netflix movie that he had a sort of big no, no, part in. But, but um, uh, I don't, can't remember what his actual name is, but Chase is his mm. theater name. Mm. Um, so I kind of connected them and but I think Chase has become a little, you know, he's traveling all over the world and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, one thing to another, um, I asked Brett one day, I said, Brett, would you like to go for a sale? Because I, you know, I knew these good athlete and strong, and uh, you know, be able to compensate. He said, "Sure." Well, he'd never sailed in his life, so he shows up in the sailboat. And we go out, and we have a blast. And I don't know um, why it is Brett's twenty-two now, and we just became kindred spirits really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a real good friend of his, a guy named Matt Warner, um, he introduced Matt the next time, and the three of us have become very loving a very powerful relationship we have and it's an interesting one um you know and i as i mentioned earlier i really love young people so having young people back in my life like this is great mm-hmm. now brett as you mentioned is a national paddler just came back from romania uh came sixth in the world now not the whole world was in romania racing but um and on his uh, sailboat here he has a second wind deckle now or on his sailboat on his on his uh on his uh, C one, yeah. Yeah. yeah, has a second wind Sweet. deckle on his on his canoe here. Which uh, is the name of your boat? It's the name yeah. of my boat, right? Um, but we've just become really close. Well, um, I think Brett's uh, dad, Brian, was wondering, "What's this sixty odd year old guy doing hanging out with my kid?" And they're really, I don't know. We just connected on all kinds of levels, and uh, I think he kind of had me checked out a little bit. Don't kind of I'm <laughs> right. suspicious, did? Yeah. Uh, but then he figured out, no, it's safe. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway, um, so I, I'm sitting at home, and out of the blue, I get uh, I get a message from Brian. He says, "You want to go for a drive?" I said, "Sure." Now I didn't really know why all of a sudden, and I know Brian a little bit um, through um, hockey and Brad, and I've met him. I don't know him well, but I know him, mm-hmm. and he's a wealth management guy here in town. And you see, you see his company. Um, you know, sponsors a number of sports around. Anyway, so he shows up 
a little while later in a McLaren 675. Whoa. Wow, that's so nice. And it's gold, McLaren 675. Okay, okay, I wasn't (laughs) expecting this. He says, yeah, so he pops the the wing doors and and I get, and it just, boy, that seat just swallows you up. Oh, yeah. Then we go out the by high out to to, uh, Larry Utech. And of course, he looks around. He's around. He kind of comes onto it, and it just drives you back. Um, I think their rated horsepower on this all carbon fiber body, high end. I think, but the rated horsepower is something like six hundred and sixty six horsepower. Right? Oh, I so, would love to. So I would love and to. I'm, I'm just going. I, I didn't know people could move that fast on the on you know yeah. on solid ground. Anyway, we go out to this uh, friend of his, um, uh, and he cracks the garage. He has three Porsches in the garage. Collects Porsches. Wow. And um, anyway, so I'm going, all right, this was, this was, oh, wow, way over the top. And I, I don't know that I posted about it, but I certainly did a Facebook post. You know, yeah, I can't yeah. remember if I yeah. did a blog post on it. But, I saw a picture of you. And um, but cool. yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty hot. So, and then a little while later, uh, Brian was telling me that he and a bunch of other people that have these high-end cars rent that track out by Shubenacadie. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not really by Shubenacadie, but that yeah. area. Um, so on a Monday, um, I met him out there and, um, they, what they do is they, they come out with their Porsches and, and he didn't bring his McLaren because the, the check engine light had come on and he needed to pack it up and send it to Montreal to be yeah. serviced. That's the, that's the, the kind of check engine light that you don't ignore. Yeah. 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 Which, which yeah. was, which was yeah. okay because he had a time booked on September the 2nd at the Le Mans track which I think was a McLaren day. Oh, wow. And so he was planning to go do that anyway. So it all kind of worked out. But he was out there, um, and a friend of his wanted him to, to take his Porsche around the track. Uh, anyway, I met him, um, and the organizer, um, Brian, arranged that he took me out, and he's a real good driver. Oh, cool. And he was in a high-end Porsche, too. And when he was hitting those back straights, I was so pissed at myself because I gave Brian my phone to video me in the car. <laughs> it would have been much more useful yeah. to have the phone in the car yeah. because the visuals, you, you, when you're going that fast um, on those back straights, now I don't know what speeds he's hitting, but I'm going to tell you 180, 190 before, yeah. you, before you just come off a little bit and then mm-hmm. crank it through the turns. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and he did six laps and he kept, he kept putting his hand over like, of course, I'm in the helmet and I'm all strapped into this. And he puts his, every lap he put his hand, can you like go a little faster? You all right? You know, <laughs> haven't soiled your pants have you yet? And I said, no, I'll go faster. Yeah. And so uh, I, I don't know. And this guy, could he ever drive? And it was really, really cool. something that they would have had about 20 people out there and they're at different levels of ability. Yeah. And they do a lot of training. Yeah. And they're yeah, not really awesome. racing each other. They're just. Just rip Tear, ripping their, yeah, 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 ripping yeah. their cars around. Yeah, just they, showing off their cars. Yeah, they teach other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, it's yeah. not kind of an open thing. They don't invite people. It's not advertised. Yeah, yeah. You know, they bring in an ambulance and they have people just in case something happens. Yeah. And they cover Probably a lot of bases. But <laughs> I'm awesome. guessing that there's no real insurance coverage for those kind of events. Yeah, but, but yeah anyway, that was, uh, yeah. That, and uh, um, uh, Brian, will, Brian, uh, Brian will take me again sometime yeah, in the future. That's, cool. but, that's awesome. Uh, but it's nice that that unfolded. So that was way out of the blue and that's, Something I never expected to do yeah. in my lifetime. So that yeah. was very, very cool. Very cool. So, so Phil, where like where are you at now in your uh, in your cancer journey? Like, are you, you know, you had mentioned that you've you've got you've got plans for hospice. Like, you're. It seems like you're you're getting things in order. Um, what's you know, what does your future look like? 
Um, well, the the um, the moderate chemo wasn't having any effect, so I came off that. Um, I did start uh, last week. I started another chemo treatment, but I'm chemo insensitive, which means there's no chemo that's going to have the kind of effect. But there's one drug that um, my oncologist has used and seen about 5% of his patients have had their life extended, but there's no clinical evidence why. Mm. He doesn't know why it works, but he's, you know, just over his use of it the year he sees it. And maybe I'll have benefit, maybe I won't, but we'll know within, we'll know about November. Um, in terms of um, that, I, I, I don't know the answer to do I have a year, do I have six months. I really don't know mm. the, the answer to that or can anybody answer the question because everybody's very different. Um, but I'm still, um, you know, I'm not healthy as normal health. Uh, but sitting here, you know, I feel very healthy right now. Yeah. I'm having a good day. Uh, most of my days are pretty good. Um, every once in a while I'll have a day that I'll wake up and I'll be really good and I'll have a couple of meals in the morning and all of a sudden I just crash mm. and I'm done for the day. I'm in bed for the rest of the afternoon and I just sleep and sleep and I sleep all the way through the night. Um, and cancer does that to you. And, um, you know, the tiredness just goes with the territory. So going back to the question you're asking, I really don't know what to expect. Um, I, I think that, you know, I probably will see 2022. I hope so because I'm... I've arranged a family reunion on August the 17th down in Parsboro with our size family. We got this whole Riverview campground. The whole yeah. thing is booked, and it is on my credit card to guarantee it. So, uh, so, um, But I've arranged all of that, which we organized one back in 1996 yeah. too, so it's kind of a redo of it. But I, I, hope to, I, I hope that I will see next summer. I hope that I will have a sailing season left to me. Mm. Um, but there's no expectations or guarantees. So mm-hmm. I plan to continue like we are, like this weekend. The oh, I've got, this is a very cool weekend coming up, and I have to. I've got a, I've got a loot to tell you a little bit about that. But um, we have a huge Airbnb booked in Queensland, and it can sleep up to sixteen if you want. It's got five bedrooms, and it's just a quick walk up from the beach. It's this beautiful, beautiful house. And um, everybody's coming, the whole family. Yes. Uh, but my wife and I had planned on the 14th of this month to fly to the Netherlands. And the reason is that when I was in Denmark, I met this young guy. And, you know, as I love young people, maybe he was lonely, maybe I was lonely. But we just kind of clicked it. He wasn't in the race. He was just riding. Um, <laughs> and he had ridden through Germany, visited France. He's now in Denmark. He's going to Sweden. He's going to come down the coast. And his name's Wietse Slope. And... Um, He's a sustainability student at University of Trek at the time, and I don't know. We um, we we had, I Brad uh, like I had great internet connectivity there, like compared to what we have in North America. It's unbelievable the kind of connectivity you get in European countries. Anyway, Brad said, ah, "You're kind of off today. You should sleep in a, sleep in a bed tonight. Get off the ground. Have a have a good night's sleep." So I checked into a campground, and I had passed him earlier on the day, and then he had passed me a little later on the day, and then he happened to be checking in. And he was fighting with the wind trying to get his tent up, and I said, uh, I'm going to get a beer. Would you like a beer? And just sort of waving it. I just love young people, so I just sort of mm. he said, sure. So I came back, and I, it was just so windy, and he was starting to try to light a fire, and I said, yeah, they haven't had rain here for six weeks. Uh, I'm not sure you're allowed to actually even have an open fire. Why don't you bring your food? And Anyway... I don't know, maybe he was lonely, maybe I was lonely, but we really hit it off, and we spent about three hours. We did a FaceTime uh, with Brad because he wants to do Iron Man when he's 28, and he was 
20-ish at the time. Brad's done a, a, multi, a, a bunch of Ironmans, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's done the Canadian a couple of times. He, he, a few, yeah. he, I didn't say this earlier, but Brad, the small world of the world, is your little brother, Brad Crosley, grew up to be my gym teacher at school and then ultimately my midget coach and was really played a big role in like getting me to calm down as a kid because I was very rambunctious and, and quite aggressive. <laughs> and uh, Brad really showed me to channel that aggression in a way that could be helpful for the things that I was doing playing sports. Um, and I owe a lot to Brad. Um, but one trip we went to Cape Breton to play, uh, to play uh, Cape Breton West in midget when I was playing for Brad. And we, when we, whenever we'd go to Cape Breton, we'd have a Saturday game and a Sunday game. We'd have two game um, weekend with them. And on the seat, we, we played the Friday, the Saturday night and he was there to coach. And then the Sunday, um, one Sunday when we had a trip there, the assistant coach took over cause Brad went and did an Ironman. Right. In Cape <laughs> during Breton, the day. In Cape Breton during yeah. the day. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's a, a typical sun. Brad. Well, yeah. Brad getting up and going for a 25 kilometer run yeah. is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although he's starting to find his hips are a little, like he's 56 now. So yeah, no things, doubt. You know, a lot of wear and tear on <laughs> Anyway, so back. So, so we had this great conversation with Brad about <laughs> Ironmans and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And I'm not sure why we tonight we talked about everything. I talked with him. I told him things about myself that very few people know, and he did the same thing. And I guess it was you know just this random encounter. Um, maybe we both need. I don't know the right answer to that because at one point um, I said to him, "So what's a young guy like you on by yourself? And did you murder somebody? And you're on the run or what's going on? Yeah." Anyway, I just figured I'd never leave. I, I messaged him in the morning and said, okay, I'm on the road. I like to get on the road uh, when I'm doing these races at about four in the morning because it's quiet and there's not so much traffic. I left the cabin open. Help yourself to it if you want to make a meal there. I've turned the keys in, but, you know, use the cabin if you want and save yourself. Well, the next night, bing, off goes my phone. And I'm, in, I'm doing campgrounds now because I just, I, I kind of hated doing the campgrounds because you had to be in by eight because most of their offices would be closing mm-hmm. on one hand. On the other hand, they had services. And when you're wild camping, you, you know, you never yeah. know if you're going to stay somewhere that someone's going to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, you got to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so, um, and it's, and it's, it's Wheatsy. And I said, oh, he says, well, how far did you go today? And I said, oh, about 150 kilometers, 160 kilometers. So a little better. I'm not quite up to where I'd like to be, but I'm okay. I'm doing fine. And I said, how far did you go? He goes, 120. I said, 120? Didn't you say you are trying to do 80 days? He says, yeah, but if a guy your age can be doing the distances you're doing, I can do a whole lot better at my <laughs> yeah, age than what I'm go. doing. <laughs> and so every night um, we had a conversation while I was on the rest of that. And uh, it, was, got, it got really funny because at one point, um, ding, off goes the phone, and I open it up, and it's a picture of a beer. It's not the beer we had the first night. It's a different brand. I had just bought exactly the same brand at the mm. store, and I'm going, this is unbelievable. Anyway, just, I don't know, on so many levels, we're almost completing each other's sentences. And then I finished the race after 13 days on a Saturday, and a bunch of my friends that were in the race were there to meet me at the finish line. It was kind of cool. And then on Monday, I met him in um, uh, Hilsenburg, Sweden, um, when he, and for lunch, and then we had lunch, and then we took the ferry over to Hilsenburg in um in Denmark, where we're going to camp out for the night together, and we and we did, and his parents were meeting him, and he was his dad was going to cycle back to the Netherlands with him a bit of the way and stuff. 
but we just agreed that we would just keep the friendship going, and then eventually did. So I'm sitting on my veranda uh, in Portland Estates, and uh, I've got a beer on the go, and we're doing our video chat. And at the end of it, he sends me a card. Now, I knew when he was 15 that his family had done a house exchange. Well, the house exchange they did with was a house that, as the bird flies, was a kilometer from where I live. Whoa. No. When he was 15, I'm going, like, I randomly meet Whoa. this guy yeah. on this trail that's between, you know, Denmark and the German border. Um, and then we become Wild. friends later on. Anyway, so part of the reason why I wanted to really do this trip is I wanted Janet to meet Wheatsy. Um, he's, he's seriously about sustainability. He's this brilliant young man. He's going to change the world. I was one of his, um, uh, for his first graduate studies, I was one of his um, uh, references. And uh, then he worked for a year, and now he's back into a second graduate study around leadership and how to convince you know, diplomats to make the right mm. decisions uh, around sustainability. But he is going to change the world. And uh, anyway... Um, I, I uh, contacted and said, we just can't come in. College says, I can't come to Europe. If I end up in the hospital, it'll be just Too financial much. ruin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, what time is it right now? Um, 226. So, so they would have just got on their flight in Montreal. They're, come, they're arriving no. at 3.30 and they're spending uh, the weekend with the oh, and, no and his girl's friend Roxanne are coming this way because I can't go that way. Oh, that's fucking and great. And so that's I'll amazing. be picking them up in the airport around 3.30. That's um, great. Then we head out to Queensland tomorrow. Hell so. yeah. Sweet. So again, you know, I've got Brett and Matt and we team. We're all getting together for breakfast on Sunday because they're flying back on Tuesday. Uh, they've got to get their, they have to go to Praxis because you can't get a test. Right. right. You got to go to yeah. 186 bucks for a COVID test. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I got to bring them back in on Sunday morning. Wow. Yeah, yeah, the relationships you make, but, you know. But yeah, my world has just opened up in a remarkable way through the last couple of years. Well, so, on that note then, what what would you say is the biggest thing that your cancer diagnosis has taken away from you? My future. And what would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Uh, a chance to reflect on what really counts in life. Mm. And the number one thing that counts in life is learn to become loving. Mm. So many people are, are pent up with their emotions. They don't tell people how much they love them and how they care for them. And if you can't say those words, because those are tough to say, particularly for guys, you know, yeah. we were brought up to be a little tougher than that. You know, start with, you know, you, you've carved a hole in my heart that you now live in. <laughs> it's an easy way of starting to get into being able to say I love you out loud and I say I love you out loud all the time mm. uh, to people now I work really hard at it and um, my children are very loving that way and uh, um, even with like Matt and Brad we often tell each other how much we love each other and the same thing with Weetzie. He's he was a little bit contained but he's he's a little more that way and the guy was my best man you know, as I've become more loving he's become a little more free with his emotions and I think the sooner that we can get in t- touch with that side of they want to tell people you love them if, if, if it's just a you know a, an acquaintance i mean you can't love everybody in the world but you mm. can have good feelings about people yeah there's no downside in letting people know that you care about them yeah. that you think Say they're important you and it. you think they're valuable mm-hmm. and as relationships develop and make sure that they know that you do truly love them and that's important that is the number one thing that i've learned mm-hmm. i mean there's a whole bunch but like my last post is I'm rewriting it now, but my last post will release, and it'll release with, uh, that starts out, um, you know, my name is Meredith O'Hara, and Dad died today at such and such a time, mm. and, you know, I'm reviewing and releasing this on his behalf, and and that's going to be a really hard read for her, but 
um, mm -hmm. it's me kind of trying to put in perspective. And uh, if uh, a lot of people are telling me how much uh, they're valuing what I'm writing because it's given them a chance to reflect on their own lives and things that are important. But, you know, the stuff that I think I did, I think I had a pretty good sense of what was important throughout the better part of my life. Uh, but those who end up at my age with a disease like this and, you know, have fast cars, well, I should maybe use that example, <laughs> you know, have lots of material possessions, um, they're not necessarily any happier. Like, I'm in a very happy Definitely place not. in my world today. Mm. I'm not in an unhappy place. I'm not happy that, you know, my, my timeline is, I've got a best before date that's a little more defined than I'd like it to be. But, you know, that aside, I can't do anything about that. Mm. Yeah. But what I can do about and. And, and you'll see it right on the opening page of my blog is, you know, we don't get to choose all the, the roads that you know, we have to ride, but we do get to be the best version of ourselves while on the ride. Mm, yeah. And on that, that's kind of where I've ended up in my mindset. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd like that people, that, that my little legacy I leave is, you know, that I, I, I lived the last part of my life with dignity, courage, lots of humor, grace, and, and a faith in God, which I, I have a pretty strong faith in God, so... Yeah. Well, Phil, I got to say this has been um, this has been a really special conversation, and uh, I'm super grateful to have had the opportunity to meet you. Super grateful that we got to do this in person, mm -hmm. and uh, and on behalf of the three of us and and all of our listeners, thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. I'm I'm glad that I had a chance to kind of talk about it and. You know, the more people that maybe I reach and find that, um, you know, I can bring some benefit and these continue to be the most teachable moments of my life. All that, you know, that's great. That's good news. So I think it's win-win all around. You guys are doing some pretty awesome stuff having these events. So keep it up. Thank you. Good Thanks, on you. Yeah. Whew, there we go, folks. Uh, that was a doozy. And what a, just what a beautiful conversation what a beautiful conversationalist um yeah just feeling really grateful for having the chance to meet phil to hear the wonderful stories that he has to share and um i'm really grateful that you were all here to to uh, be a part of it with us thank you so much for listening if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. Let us know your thoughts. If you're listening on Spotify, hit the follow button. And of course, uh, over on YouTube, we're coming at you every Friday with our Feel Good Friday episodes. Make sure you subscribe there and um, chime in in the comments. We love hearing your thoughts there. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The podcast is managed by... Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design on Monday episodes is by our friend Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, our theme music every week is from the band Take Part. If you want to uh, reach out to us anytime, letters at sickboypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to be a guest on the show, sickboypodcast.com slash contact. You can fill out the future guest form there. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.